folks, welcome back to Dub After. This is Chris once again. Hey folks, welcome back to Chris White Africa here on a Lekka Lekka Freitag. How's it going? Welcome out there. It's Friday, June 18th, 2021, and it's time for Indaba African News of the Day. Let's get straight to the headlines, followed up with in-depth news and analysis. South Africa's finance minister, Tito Mbweni, intends to stand firm against selfish union demands for pay rises that equal inflation plus 4%. Greedy, greedy, greedy bastards. Um... He's tending to stand firm. We'll have more on that shortly. A landmark ruling exposes ANC's fraud on land in regard to the Ingunyama Trust in KwaZulu Natal. 500,000 teachers across South Africa are about to get the jab. Watch out. Here comes that needle. And the fictitious sale of South African Airways exposes this scam. Takatso doesn't have the money on hand to buy SA. Never mind the fact they're not really buying it. They were handed a 51% stake. But the reality is they haven't even taken control of it, despite multiple media reports saying they've taken control. In fact, Takatso is doing its due diligence right now, checking the comp company's books and looking things over. So the sale, such as it is, doesn't even exist. And the clueless media still distracting people really writing disturbing stories, misleading, rewriting history, talking about the Herero genocide in Namibia. While the actual genuine forgotten genocide was that of the San from 1912 to 1915, more on that story coming up shortly. Alehu Kosaya becomes the first Liberian convicted of war crimes in Liberia's 13-year civil war, convicted not by the International Criminal Court, the ICC in The Hague, but by Switzerland, where he fled and has been incarcerated since 2014, is now convicted of war crimes on the Swiss, the dubious Swiss position of universality. And they act as though they have the right to prosecute people under their laws from anywhere in the world for crime committed outside their jurisdiction. Globalism run amok. Of course, this person certainly deserved to be prosecuted for war crimes, but it should have been done by the ICC if Liberia was unable, unwilling to do it, or by Liberia. Laurent Gbagbo has returned to Côte d'Ivoire, and he is just as popular a figure as he ever was. Big crowds welcoming Laurent Gbagbo, the person who excluded Alassane Ouattara from serving in government, and the person responsible for a civil conflict that raged on for a few years in Ivory Coast, returns to Ivory Coast. Deutsche Welle asks if President Buhari has lost control of Nigeria. Bit of a stretch, but a fair question nonetheless. And are climate zealots impoverishing Africans? Exxon exits Ghana. Mauritania, 12th and 13th century manuscripts are at risk in Chingeta. And in Mauritania, Australia's CWP Global will build a $40 million, 30 gigawatt wind slash solar power project. In stateside news, the McCloskeys have pled guilty in the strange incident in which people threatened to burn their home down and they stood their ground, which is an existing law in that state. Very bizarre, given the fact that the man is an attorney, given the fact that the attorney who filed the charges was removed for political persecution. One has to wonder what's really going on here. And the Affordable Care Act, which I reported to you yesterday, was this case was dismissed by the Supreme Court in what I viewed as being unconstitutional. The two dissenting justices of the Supreme Court have agreed with me, and they have released their dissenting opinions, which claim that, in fact, this is unconstitutional, the Affordable Care Act. And President Biden signs into law Juneteenth as a federal holiday. This disgraceful, woke ideology is shocking 
and it's a distortion and it should be disputed and refuted. It must be repealed as a federal holiday at the first instance. Now, before all you you bizarre lunatics out there who don't listen to what's being said, run off and scream all the things you're going to scream, pay attention. Juneteenth does not exist except in Texas. It was created on the basis of a two-star general in the Union Army arriving there and making a declaration which had no weight of law. It was a proclamation by a military general in an area that wasn't under martial law, was in conflict at the time. It has no weight in law. Texas is welcome to celebrate it because it's the date the Texans believe that slavery ended in Texas. Of course, that's a false statement too, as the conflict didn't end for some time after that, and slavery continued for thousands of people enslaved in Texas until some date after that. But the real shame and the real tragedy in this is that is that a proclamation by a two-star general in accordance with the Emancipation Proclamation, which did not end slavery, by the way, it shows how stupid and foolish people are, including Congress. Disgraceful Congress, disgraceful, shameful on you. Juneteenth did not end slavery in this country, not even remotely. And the fact that you signed a federal holiday to recognize it shows what disgraceful, shameful slugs you all are. And you should be removed from office, anyone that voted for this nonsense. Slavery, the legal institution of slavery, did not end until the 13th Amendment was ratified. That would be the 6th of December, 1865. So if you want to celebrate the end of legal slavery in this country, start with December 6th, 1865. That's when slavery legally ended. Before that, it wasn't the law of the land. The law of the land, the president's proclamation carried no weight of law. It was executive overreach. It was his prerogative to do that because the Southern states were in rebellion. But the Emancipation Proclamation did not end the institution of slavery in the Northern states because they were not in rebellion. And you morons that don't know history really need to wake up. And this is irritating beyond belief. So it's time to start a repeal Juneteenth Act. Let's get started on that. Those are the headlines from today, folks. I'm sure that that will get some of the woke left all the Twitter and all the flutter. And I'm sure they have lots of terrible names to say about someone that actually understands the history of this country and knows when the institution ended, not when a bunch of woke lunatics decide that they want to pick a holiday. No. Let's get right into this. Tito Mbwemi, South Africa's finance minister, has said he's going to stand his ground. Now, we've criticized Tito on this channel frequently for his behavior and his ludicrous comments, including his embarrassing situation last year when he made the loud pronouncement that we will not take money from the IMF or the World Bank. They will not intrude on our sovereignty. We are a sovereign nation. We are proud, angry, naughty children. Less than a week later, he was overruled by his own party because they had stolen and pilfered all the money and there was nothing left for the angry, naughty children to work with. So they happily took $5.6 billion dollars $285 million from the African Development Bank, $1 billion from the BRICS Bank, and $4.3 billion from the International Monetary Fund, despite their proclamations. Mungwaini has been embarrassed so often, it's shocking that he's still in a ministerial position, but not really when you understand the nature of the African National Congress. It's not about governance, it's about taking care of the cadres. That's what they care about. Well, Tito Mungwaini occasionally does something that makes sense, and this is one. In a private meeting, he disclosed that he's going to stand his ground. Tells a private conference treasury will not give in to unions. The finance minister spokesman says the recording will be shared with the media later. <laughs> will it be edited? <laughs> ah, they would not back down on the assistance any wage agreement for state workers must not breach the government's fiscal ceiling. He angered trade unions back in 2020 by reneging on a prior deal to raise wages for 1.3 million government workers. In February, he announced a new three-year pay freeze in the public sector as part of plans to rein in government spending, reduce the budget deficit, and stabilize debt. In other words, he's being a appropriate finance minister, a useful finance minister. 
Unions are demanding increases that match inflation, plus they want four percentage points. So they want a 7.5% pay raise when 3 million South Africans are out of work owing to the ANC's feckless, clueless governance in the face of the pandemic. And this uh, groundbreaking court decision getting virtually no attention to South Africa. You can be sure that Chris White Africa will do a video on this topic. Getting virtually no attention whatsoever. This is scathing, scathing in its indictment of the corrupt, venal, incompetent, thieving African National Congress, distorting the argument about land and property in South Africa. But let's get right to that story about the Nguyenyama Trust, which of course belongs to the Zulu King. If the government is to atone for its failure in the face of Nguyenyama Trust illegal leasing of trust land, it should ensure that the Peter Ritzberg High Court judgment is adhered to. On Friday, the court delivered a landmark ruling ensuring security of tenure for those living on Nguyenyama Trust land, declaring the lease program imposed back in 2012 as unlawful and unconstitutional. Just to remind you what happened here, the trust began extracting rent from people living on their ancestral land. The purpose of the trust was to protect the land so that the king could be a good steward of it and people could use it in a communal fashion. That was the purpose. I don't agree with that. I think people should have clear title to land, but whatever the case is, the trust began ext extracting money from its own people. Judgment goes a long way towards protecting communities who have lived on their ancestral land for generations, but then they had began paying the trust, which collected 90 million rand in fees in 2018-2019 fiscal year alone. The judgment did not spare the government, flaying land reform minister Toko Didiza and her predecessors for failing in their constitutional obligation to protect the land rights of rural people on land administered by the trust. Now, why would they care about that land? They don't care about that land. It's only black South Africans living there. And these slime balls in the African National Congress don't care about black South Africans. Don't believe for a second that they actually do. If they did, children wouldn't be dying in pit latrines in primary schools. Primary schools wouldn't have been built out of textbooks by corrupt, non-existent black economic empowerment companies. If they cared about black South Africans, they'd stop their racial nonsense dividing the society and quit punishing minorities for their success creating jobs. And they quit stealing racist legislation, racist policies like denying people in the tourism sector relief funds in the midst of a situation in which they shut down the economy and basically destroyed these tourism businesses. But if you're black owned, you get money. Money that was paid in taxes by the businesses they were destroying. They don't care about black South Africans. And if you're a black South African, you think the ANC cares about you, then you really need a wake-up call. You really need a wake-up call. The department responsible for protecting the land rights of South Africans living on land looked the other way while the Zulu kingdom stole from the pockets of their own people, charging them rents unconstitutionally and illegally. We won't even get into the whole conversation about how inept this land's ministry is and how little land they've dispersed, how much land they're sitting on, and how the ANC lies about property in South Africa. That is an entirely different discussion. 500,000 teachers across South Africa about to get the jab. Watch out. Here it comes, folks. The South African government claims it's about to nearly double the number of people that it's vaccinated. Woo! Wow. Only, only eight, nine months after the vaccine became available, South Africa is now achieving 1% vaccination rates. Well done, National Coronavirus Command Council. Well done, Zwele Mkizi. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Zwele Mkizi is currently suspended because he's suspected of corruption in PPE equipment. Hmm. Instead of stealing funds meant to protect people, perhaps dealing with the actual pandemic would have been a good idea. Nearly 500,000 teachers and education sector workers to be vaccinated, oh, over 10 days. So they can only do 50,000 per day. 
So we're going to have to wait till the end of the month before all these people get their jabs. Health officials are to meet their counterparts from the Department of Basic Education, you know, the people that waste money cleaning schools that aren't dirty. The aim is to vaccinate over 10 working days from the 22nd of June, 499,000 educators from across the public and private sectors. They'll be using the J&J, Johnson & Johnson. Yes, indeed. They'll also be followed by members of the police and the National Security and Correction Services. To date, 1.5 million people have received at least one vaccine, but only half a million or so have been fully vaccinated by the inept, corrupt African National Congress government. South African Airways... The non-existent, bankrupt, corrupt, venal enterprise that is not flying, has no pilots, and barely has any planes left, currently has approximately 20% of its staff that it had just a year ago. The sad, pathetic excuse that is South African Airways, which was sold to Takatsu Consortium, which, of course, is a lie. It wasn't sold. Takatsu Consortium promised to inject 3.5 billion rand or $258 million into the failed enterprise. They currently don't have that money and are searching for it. They were given 51%, but they haven't even taken control of that because they're doing their due diligence. And it's interesting to see just how people are so easily hoodwinked. Number one, that cadres are involved in this. Hmm. And number two, that it wasn't a sale, it was a giveaway. South African Airways, new wings undermined by pending questions about its funding model. The consortium that plans to buy a majority stake in SA is yet to raise funding for the troubled airline. There are also questions about whether the Department of Public Enterprises sidestepped the National Treasury when it announced the Material Act transaction. Well, of course it did. Of course it did sidestep the Treasury. But then Tito and Bueni's busy being countermanded all the time. You can't help them. To recap. The Department of Public Enterprises plans to sell a large chunk of SA to a consortium named Takatso, which includes Harith General Partners, a private equity firm that invests in infrastructure projects and is majority black-owned, and Global Aviation, aircraft leasing company, for a yet-to-be-determined amount. So there's no sale. There's no firm offer for SA, as Takatso is still auditing the airline's financial and operational viability and whether there's even a business case to invest in SAA, known as due diligence. Well, let me help you out with that, Takatso. There is no business case to invest in SAA. The only business case is liquidation and selling off its assets. The few crappy airplanes it has left, the licenses it has for gates, and the logo. That's it. Delivery. That's all that is left of South African Airways. Anything else is a sick joke. In Namibia, we have U.S. newspapers, media, carrying the lie. The forgotten genocide in Namibia has finally been remembered. This is Desiree News from Utah. Germany has finally recognized its colonial-era killings in Namibia as a genocide by Aspen Flughoft. Well, there's a small problem with this, Aspen. A small problem. Germany didn't commit genocide in Namibia. The German Empire did, an organization, a state that no longer exists and has ceased to exist since 1918. 1918, 103 years ago, those culpable ceased to exist. Now, the humans complicit lived for many years after that and could have been prosecuted or pursued or sued. But nobody alive today has anything to do with this. The Federal Republic of Germany, the Bundesrepublik Deutschland, has nothing to do with this nonsense. So apologizing is idiotic. Germany is not responsible for those acts. No more than the Herero today are responsible for the slaughter and murder of 343 German settlers on their farms that started this conflict. Between 1904 and 1908, Germany killed, no, they didn't. This, this is childish writing. Germany didn't kill anybody. 
the Schutz Truppe killed people. Germany occupied Namibia from 1884 to 1915, calling the country German Southwest Africa. Of course, they called it German Southwest Africa. Why? Because there was no country. <laughs> the Germans colonized a territory and gave it a name. It was comprised of non-state entities, groups, tribal groupings, loose groupings of San running around, and local troops like Nama and Orlums and such. There was no state of Namibia or German Southwest Africa. So, of course, they called it German Southwest Africa. Silly. Calling this the forgotten genocide is childish. I've known about this genocide since I was a teenager. And I grew up in Appalachia. Forgotten by whom, Aspen? Forgotten by whom? Certainly not forgotten by anybody that lives in Namibia. Probably a few people that live in the Okavango Delta because they're well aware of what happened to the Herero. Forgotten by whom? Not forgotten. I've done endless reports and stories about this genocide. I've written about it. Ohio University has published books on it. It's not forgotten. Not forgotten. Forgotten by whom? By people in Utah who knew nothing about Namibia? Perhaps. It's a very misleading, dishonest story. Let's talk about the genuine forgotten genocide that took place in Namibia or German Southwest Africa, Deutsche Südwestafrika. That is what happened to the San, who were hunted down from 1912 to 1915. Here you go. This is a Namibian. The forgotten Bushman genocide. See a photograph of San chained up there who had been arrested for robbery and murder at Kiepmannshop. Whoop. The issue of genocide reparations received much necessary public discussion. Well, I disagree with that because the Herero and Nama weren't included. Another group of colonial genocide victims has been ignored and wiped out of political discussion in the history of Nubia, both by official representatives of various interest groups and the public at large. So we're concerned here with those variously labeled by others as the San Bushman Okuhura. The genocide in 1904-1908, Herero Nama, was unique in that public sentiment and Germany played a major role in stopping it. The Bushman genocide of 1912-1915 continued unabated with hardly a whimper of public outrage. It wasn't until 1915, after the South Africans removed the German administration, that Bushman hunting was banned. There is a genocide that took place for the San people in Namibia. And that is your forgotten genocide in Namibia, not what happened to the Herero. That's not forgotten at all. Alu Kosaya has been convicted of war crimes. A Liberian wartime leader was convicted in a Swiss court. 20 years for crimes, including murder rape, but he gets credit for the six years already served, so he only served 14 more years. About 250,000 people were killed in Liberia's civil wars and thousands more fled abroad. Trial was the first under a 2011 Swiss law that allows prosecution for war crimes committed anywhere in the world. It also marked the first time crimes, crime charges have been heard by a Swiss civilian court. The 46-year-old was a former rebel commander who fled to Switzerland before he was being arrested there in 2014. This is under Switzerland's principle of universal justice, meaning suspects in high-profile crimes elsewhere can be tried in its courts, and I dispute that. A country that spent decades hiding illicit funds from criminals, murderers, and so forth, absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous that they think that they have the right to universal jurisdiction. They do not have the right to universal jurisdiction. No such thing exists. And this is a dangerous step to go on. Now, I'm not disputing the fact that he should have been prosecuted for war crimes, but it should have been done in Liberia or at the International Criminal Court if Liberia was unable or unwilling to do it. Utter nonsense. And it's interesting because there's no mention in the article about what crimes he committed. It just says he's convicted. What are the crimes? War crimes will be specific. Killing people, destroying property, destroying historical locations, cultural sites. What did he do? I'm sure I know what he did, but the point is that that news story is incomplete without telling us what he did. Laurent Gbagbo has returned to Côte d'Ivoire. Ancien chef de l'état ivoirien qui a débarqué jeudi après-midi à Abidjan a fait une si brève apparition 
au balcon de son ancien siège de campagne de vente des milliers de partisans en transit. Thousands greeted the former Ivory Coast leader Laurent Bagbo, military strongman, on his return on the 17th of June, 2021. We will see what happens in Ivory Coast with his return. Should be interesting. Deutsche Welle has asked the question, has President Buhari lost control? Has he lost control? Well, that's a fair question, but I think it's a bit of an overreach at this point. Government crackdowns and increasingly violent protests and a blanket Twitter ban suggest weakness at the top. No, a blanket Twitter ban suggests that finally one state is punishing an out-of-control tech censor platform while citizens face rising tensions, rising terrorism, and kidnappings. Conflict Zone meets Abuja's ambassador to Germany. Conflict Zone is this Deutsche Welle story. Kidnappings of school children, deadly attacks. The Biafra conflict is back. It hasn't been around since 1970. 50 years ago, Biafra. Twitter is banned in Nigeria. Now, Buhari definitely is facing some challenges in the country, and he's being painted as a military strongman, although he's no longer a military officer and hasn't been for decades. But the point here is that uh, there are definitely challenges in Nigeria, but is Buhari losing control? Uh, it's yet to be seen. He still has control of security services, still has control of the law enforcement, still has control of the bureaucracy. But the challenges, the physical security challenges across the country really do need to be addressed and rapidly. And it doesn't seem that Buhari's regime is up to the task at this point. So it's a fair question on the part of Deutsche Welle. Have the climate zealots decided to impoverish Africa into perpetuity? Well, the, uh, the ability of a leftist slime organization to put $50 million together to buy stock and then push their way onto the board of ExxonMobil with two board positions shows exactly what direction these religious zealots are headed. And they don't care who they impoverish or what damage they do to the world or how far back towards the 13th century they pull development and force people to suffer through hunger, deprivation. Well, the latest example of this is perhaps the withdrawal of Exxon mobile from Ghana's promising oil fields. Exxon's exit from Ghana may be the first signs of majors quitting Africa, which would not be a good sign for African countries. Ghana's upstream petroleum sector is going through a tricky patch. American giant Exxon Mobil's unexpected exit from the sector has only ramped up anxiety, and it's not just Exxon. Total Energies is also actively moving away from crude in Nigeria, and that's on top of Shell announcing they're abandoning Nigeria. Ghana will need to aggressively tackle many challenges while quickly repositioning itself in the face of a global energy transition. And of course, this is all related to these zealots who have no concept of time and seem to think that the world was created in a matter of moments and that the carbon amount in our atmosphere is the most pressing problem on this planet when it's far from that. In Mauritania, some historic documents and uh, logs written in the 12th and 13th centuries are at risk of being got lost forever. Desert libraries in Mauritania, treasures in need of protection. Remarkable treasures lie dormant in Mauritania. Thousands of manuscripts and books dating back to the 12th and 13th century are housed in libraries in the city of Chingueta, the site of an ancient trading route. These ancient books were left by pilgrims on their way to Mecca or brought back from countries across the Islamic world. But the conservation of these rare books is a colossal challenge. They are threatened by extreme heat, termites, and desert sands. And that would be a tragic loss for humanity to lose those documents dating back to the 11th century. Can you imagine 11th century documents? Amazing stuff. Absolutely amazing, folks. Also in Mauritania, Australian company CWP Power, CWP Global, I should say, plans to build a 30-gigawatt wind and solar project in Mauritania. North African com 
country's government pledges to accelerate the project's permitting and developments. And there's an image of <laughs> what Mauritania looks like. In case you haven't been there, folks, I have. I used to live there. It'll be located in the north of the country on 8,500 square kilometer site. That is a huge site. Australian developer CWP Global has signed a pact with Mauritania government for a 30 gigawatt wind and solar power to X hub in the Sahara. With the agreement, the Northwest African country's government has pledged to open the door to international investors and commit to accelerating progress on the project's development and permitting approvals process. Plans to use output from the 30 gigawatt of wind and solar to produce green hydrogen and to export this green hydrogen and its derivatives around the world. Well, that's interesting. Uh, green hydrogen. I love how people just stick green on anything. Meanwhile, here in the States, bizarre situation with the McCloskeys. This is the couple that um, their home in uh, St. Louis was, was attacked by burn, loot, and murder broke into their property, broke the gate on their property, and they stood on their property with firearms, didn't shoot anybody, and they now pled guilty. This is a very strange situation. What exactly happened here? Mark and Patricia McCloskey plead guilty to charges, will surrender their guns. The St. Louis couple were seen holding firearms as burn, loot, and murder activists approached their home, pled guilty to several misdemeanor charges and surrendered their guns. McCloskey, who's a lawyer, pled guilty to class C misdemeanor, a fourth degree assault. What assault? What assault? People with baklavas broke into his property? What assault is this? I don't understand this at all. And to a class A misdemeanor second degree assault. They'll pay a maximum fine of 2000 and 750 and won't serve any jail time. However, the two will be forced to forfeit the weapons they were holding when they confronted the burn, loot, murder um, agitators who were marching near their home, not near their home, on their property. The two claimed in media interviews that the protesters were trespassed and noted that BLM Protesters in St. Louis and other cities have committed arson and engaged in acts of violence. They previously pled not guilty and were slated to go on trial in November. The protesters told them they were going to kill us. They are going to come here and they're going to burn down our house. They're going to be in our living room. And after I was dead, they're going to point in different rooms and said they're going to be in my bedroom. The local prosecutor wrote that some of their claims were unfounded. There's no evidence of any, that any of the protesters had a weapon. And no one I interviewed realized they ventured into a private enclave. Well, then why didn't people leave when they brandished weapons? And why do they taunt them? We've seen this on video. There's, this is a very strange situation. Very strange situation. This couple rose in national prominence because there's a stand your ground piece of legislation in that state apparently. So I don't really understand what's going on there. That's bizarre. So you can't defend your home? Someone trespassing your property? They can menace you and threaten you with their mere physical presence by violating your property and you're supposed to take it? When the police don't respond? Well, the Supreme Court's two dissenting justices have confirmed what Chris Wyatt told you yesterday. The Affordable Care Act is unconstitutional. Clearly unconstitutional, two justices issued dissent in the Supreme Court's Obamacare ruling. Justices Samuel Alito and Neil Gorsuch dissented from the Supreme Court's decision to uphold the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, describing the mandate as clearly unconstitutional. The court ruled 7-2 in the captured court that the plaintiffs, 18 Republican-led states, lacked standing to challenge the federal care law. Again, how do they lack standing? The attorneys general of those states represent us. They have standing. The states had wanted the Supreme Court overturn law because of its individual mandate, which was set at zero by Donald Trump, saying that the entire law was unconstitutional. Justice Stephen Breyer wrote the majority opinion. He was joined by Justices Sonia Sotomayor, a Latina. Only she can understand what it's like, so she must be on the court. Elena Kagan, John Captured Roberts, Clarence Thomas, shockingly, Amy Coney Barrett, betrayal, and Brett Kavanaugh, betrayal again. Alito, in his dissent, described today's decision as the third installment of our epic Affordable Care Act trilogy. He added that the decision follows the same patterns as installments one and two. In all three episodes with the Affordable Care Act facing a serious threat, the court has pulled off an improbable rescue. Texas and the other state plaintiffs have standing. 
And now that the tax imposed on the individual mandate is set at zero, the mandate cannot be sustained under the taxing power, he wrote. As a result, it is clearly unconstitutional, and to the extent that the provisions of the ACA that burden the states are inextricably linked to the individual mandate, they too are unenforceable. There you go. There you go. Now, that's a lot more legalese and language than what I told you yesterday, but the bottom line is it's unconstitutional, which is what I said yesterday, and I stick to that story. Well, Bochi Jiden is signed into law Juneteenth as a federal holiday in a disgraceful, disgraceful act of Congress and of the executive branch. Oh, yeah, I'm up in arms about this one. That's right. President Bochi Jiden said that signing legislation law on Thursday establishing June 19th as Juneteenth National Independence Day. National Independence Day? That's even a disgraceful title. Commemorating the end of slavery in the United States. It did not end slavery. Go down as one of the greatest honors of his presidency. It will go down as one of the greatest embarrassments of his presidency. I have to say to you, I've only been president for several months, but I think this will go down for me as one of the greatest honors I will have as president, said Bo Chi Jiden at the captured White House. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Juneteenth is now a federal holiday. Sets off a scramble for governments to shut down because people aren't prepared to shut down. Now they must shut down on Friday. It's the law. And the Secretary of State, who's responsible for foreign affairs, not really sure why he is propagating this other than to share with the world our stupidity. December 6th is when the 13th Amendment was ratified. That's the official end of the legal institution of slavery in the United States. December 6th, 1865. Not Juneteenth, you idiots. You total idiots. And to call it National Independence Day? That's disgraceful. That's disgraceful. It must be repealed. Must be repealed. You want to celebrate the end of slavery? What about the tens of thousands of women and children currently in sexual bondage in this country while authorities look the other way? Slavery continues to exist in this country. Ignored. Legal slavery ended on the 6th of December, 1865. Not the 19th of June when some two-star general signs a proclamation with no weight of law and ignores the facts and only affects the location where he's physically occupying. The historical lunacy and stupidity of it is beyond the pale. But the Secretary of State perpetuates this nonsense. Juneteenth is a reflective date of commemorating the slavery in the United States. No, it's not. December 6th is, moron. On January 1st, 1863, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation to abolish slavery. Wrong, 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 wrong. This person is our Secretary of State. He did not end slavery. In the states in rebellion, in the territories occupied by federal troops, those who were enslaved were no longer considered slaves. That's not ending slavery. It doesn't address the northern states where slavery persisted. It doesn't address the states where the Confederacy still had control. It never ended slavery. You morons. You're stupid beyond belief. You want to celebrate the end of slavery? Celebrate the 6th of December. When we ratified, the people, the people are responsible for ending slavery. Congress put an amendment to the Constitution and the states and their legislatures responding to the people had to ratify it. 6th December, 1865. And with that, folks, that's the news for today, the 18th of June, 2021.